You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. We're your staff writers at Swamp 24-7 Sports, and we're here to talk a little Florida football. Blake, I spent some time breaking down the Florida-Tennessee game over the weekend, so I don't think we need to rehash that a whole lot. What I wanted to do with today's episode of the podcast, now that we're four games into the season, we've seen a decent mix of opponents for Florida, both some cupcakes early on, you get the tough test against Alabama, and then maybe not quite as tough a test against Tennessee, but still a conference opponent. I think you have a better idea now where Florida's at through a third of the season. So. What I really wanted to do today was almost treat it like um, kind of a report card, so to speak. You know, take Florida's first four games of the season. We'll break them up. We'll talk about them. And the reason I want to do it here is if you get to eight games in where you're two thirds of the season in, all of a sudden you're, you're right past that Georgia game. So we'll have a lot to talk about there as well. I think those are, you know, some good breaking points for the season to kind of reset our expectations. So, Blake, let me let me go ahead and just first start off by asking you this. We talked a lot about Florida going into this season, about the offensive changes that were going to come, about you know the defense needing to shore up what was a historically bad unit a year ago. Has there been anything that has surprised you relative to our expectations going into the season? It's got to be the offensive line for me. You know, you see a lot of these guys that, you know, the majority of them we saw last season. You know, we thought we had an idea of, you know, offensive line, what it was going to look like, you know, Last year, we were calling for a lot of the younger guys. And granted, a lot of those guys, the Michael Tarquins, the Josh Bronze, they have played, you know. But I think that even the guys like Jean DeLance, you know, he's he's really exceeded a lot of expectations from having, you know, really a rough couple first years in Gainesville when he got there. Um, Richard Garage, you know, it was always – we had an idea of, you know, will he be – uh, will, will he get the job done at left tackle? I think for the most part we thought he would, but I think he's, again, he's another guy that's exceeded expectations, but you've got a guy that's played guard most of his career. He's kind of been in and out of playing that left tackle position or even tackle in general. So it's hard to throw a guy out there at left tackle when you don't know that's, you know, that's obviously the blind side. So I, I think for me, it's just the offensive line, you know, from front to center, you know, you look at Kingsley uh, at I think that he's really played really great too, as well for Florida. You know, I think that, I think that was really the key for Florida's offensive line to free up some guys like Ethan White to play that offensive guard position, to get him out there in space and pull things out there and just kind of be that bulldozer type of guy. So for me, I've always been pretty skeptical of the offensive line. I felt like I was really rough on them last year. And I granted, I think a lot of, you know, in the run game, I thought a lot of it was, was really kind of noteworthy because I do think they struggled there. Now you look at this year, Emory Jones had plenty of time passing, you know, still good passing, uh, you know, pass line. Um, but I think even more for me, it's, it's the running lanes. You know, you look at what Florida's been able to do in the running game. You know, I think a lot of that is credit up front for the offensive line. So I think they've really exceeded my expectations so far. Yeah, I think, you know, maybe I'm looking in the wrong places, but I, I feel relatively safe saying a lot of people had that same concern. And I don't think that there were that many people, Blake, that really saw this unit taking that much of a step forward. You know, I know that we, we've talked about John Hevesy over the years and his ability to mold and develop offensive lines. And Certainly you saw that at Mississippi State. I mean, even late in Dan Mullen's tenure there, they had some teams with Nick, Nick Fitzgerald that was able to 
kind of push Alabama around and, and turn it into a game. Obviously never got up the, over the hump there, but you saw what John Hevesy was capable of doing when it comes to molding offensive lines. And to be frank, my concern was more that they didn't have the depth pushing up against those starters. You talked about the right fair. side of the line. You know, Gene DeLance and, and Stuart Reese kind of looked like weak spots last year. You know, in their defense, I think Gene DeLance was dealing with some, some minor injuries throughout most of last season. Uh, I don't know if that's the case with Stuart Reese, but we know, I mean, we talked about it at one point on the podcast. Stuart Reese told us he was up to 380 pounds during the season at one point because of the COVID break, because of the lack of the offseason. And then, you know, when I'm talking about when they had the three weeks where they couldn't play for Texas A&M, by the end of that, he was 380, right? And he's playing now around 340. So he he's obviously moving a lot better than he did last year. But my concern going into the year was that we knew those two guys were kind of weak links. And all through fall camp, we really kind of didn't hear a whole lot about Josh Braun pushing for a starting spot. We didn't hear a whole lot about Michael Tarquin being ready to go. And again, in Michael Tarquin's defense, dealt with an injury in fall camp. So, you know, there's mitigating factors. But the bottom line was, I think a lot of people were concerned that that unit maybe wasn't quite up to snuff, that the ceiling wasn't going to be very high. I have to agree with you as, as far as biggest surprise goes. I mean, their ceiling is extremely high at this point, I think. You know, Florida, really one of the best running teams in the nation. They've done it now against a really, really good defense in Alabama. Maybe not elite defense just yet, but I mean, that's as talented a team as you're going to play on that side of the ball. And Florida basically dictated the tempo and pace of the game. So I'm with you. I think, you know, a lot of times we focus on kind of where things need to get better for Florida or you know, what's the next step to kind of building towards that championship level performance. And we don't always give enough credit. So Blake, I think that is an excellent point. I think you got to give this offensive line credit. And now I think we're starting to see some depth develop, you know, the depth that we were concerned about, maybe not pushing for starting roles in fall camp. We saw last week against Tennessee, Josh Brown plays the, pretty much the entire game at right guard. Uh, Gene DeLance goes out after the first couple series at right tackle and Michael Tarquin stepped in and I thought had his best game. So you're seeing that unit start to develop on the flip side of that, Blake, I guess. And this is a question that uh, we, we haven't really talked about this between ourselves, but I, I, you know, so people know I shot you kind of a couple of the things I wanted to talk about and discuss on the show and, and you have your thoughts, but we haven't discussed them with each other yet. Is there a big disappointment anywhere on this team? Because I'll be honest with you, Blake, I wrote this question down, you know, biggest surprise, biggest disappointment. And when I was going through it myself, I was having a real hard time finding a disappointment so far from Florida's first four games. I was too. And I think if I had to pick one, it would be the linebacker position. You know, I think Amari Bernie has had some lumps, you know, I think that, you know, he's made some, some plays where, you know, he just isn't really, you know, kind of crossing over that hump. I thought earlier in the season, I thought he looked a little bit more physical, um, obviously losing a guy like Ventrell Miller, who is, you know, the heart and soul of that defense in that linebacker room, that kind of is what made me think that, you know, is this really the route that I want to go? Because it's hard whenever you lose a guy like Ventrell Miller, who's, you know, your leading tackler in a lot of these games, you know, really kind of the brains behind the defense. I was really high on the linebacker group, you know, and I still like guys like Tyron Hopper. You know, I think he's a really good player. I think Diabate is a guy um, that still looks to me more like an edge rusher type of guy, but I think he's starting to come around to playing that middle linebacker type of spot. But I guess for me, I was just really high on the linebacker group heading into the season, and I don't think they quite met my expectations. I don't know if they're a disappointment, but again, it's hard to really pin down one disappointment. So if I had to pick one to where I guess I just, they didn't meet my expectations that I had in the season, I think that would be where I'd go. And I think that's what was difficult for me in terms of like trying to find a disappointment was 
you know, you have some groups like that, like linebacker, where you, you've lost your veteran guy, Ventrell Miller. You, you've got some other guys that clearly have shown some potential. You know, Diabate, I think, is has clearly gotten a lot better than last year. Is he exactly where UF wants him to be? Probably not. But there, to me, there's enough other positives that you can point to where it's really hard to say one, you know, to, to hone in on one group as a disappointment. Like Jeremiah Moon's played really, really well at linebacker right. this year. So Tyron Hopper, I think, has flashed. So I'm with you. I think Amari Bernie, you know, and I've talked about this on the podcast, is a guy that probably is getting too many snaps right now. And I know he's a veteran guy, but to me, I just don't see the physicality, the willingness to fight through blocks near the line of scrimmage to be able to play that position. Maybe they find somewhere else for him. I'm not sure. But so I agree, you know, in some ways on that as a disappointment. I guess if I was trying to pick one, and again, I'm caveating this with it was very, very difficult to truly find one. I'd probably go with the tight ends only because you were coming from Kyle Pitts. You knew the drop-off was going to be there. But I think that the kind of narrative we heard out of Florida in fall camp was that Kamori Gamble and Keon Zipper were going to kind of pick up right where you left off. And I think from the, the coaching staff standpoint, and, you know, what maybe they meant by that was the production from the position overall may not change. But I think that's more reflective of how Florida's asking them to play more so than um, – ability, I guess, so to speak. So what I mean by that is obviously with Kyle Pitts, you have a generational matchup problem. You're going to use him in the passing game. I think Florida is pretty well aware that, that Maury Gamble and Keon Zipper aren't going to be there in the same kind of way, right? You'll be able to get them in some favorable situations. You saw it against Alabama. I think they had nine catches, but by and large, they're not a guy you can just, they're not guys you can just flex out and you're going to have a matchup problem. So like for me, that's kind of the disappointment. But then again, and like I said, on the flip side, you have a lot of positives. I think those two guys are blocking extremely well in the run game. And, you know, as much as we talk about the O-line, Keon Zipper is a guy that I would almost give an award to, like, most slept-on player in terms of guy that's not showing up on the stat sheet a whole lot because of that, you know, pass game production. But when you look at the run game, he has been so vital in kind of creating those creases. Kamori Gamble's been good, too. Don't get me wrong. I think he's had a couple blocks on some of those big quarterbacks run, quarterback runs where they're out in space, and he's kind of the lead guy. But Keon Zipper, I think, has been extremely physical, kind of mixing it up. And so now we're talking about, you know, my disappointment, and I'm here I am raving about certain aspects of the position. I think that's a really positive sign for Florida Blake. I mean, I think a lot has gone right so far this season. And we got a lot of football left to play, but – this is a team, I think, clearly that has the potential to be in the mix for an SEC East division title, for a possible SEC title, and potentially to make a playoff run. Moving forward with that in mind, Blake, what's the biggest storyline you're watching for this team when it comes to the rest of the season, kind of hoping, hopefully achieving some of those expectations? I think it's the pressure that the defensive line has created. You know, I think that um, the secondary is going to take some lumps. You know, I, I, you know, Kyer Elam obviously was banged up last weekend and couldn't play. I think, you know, we're all pretty set on him, you know, being a dude. Yep. Um, I think the opposite side of the cornerback position, there's been some growing pains there. I think the safety position, there's been some growing pains there as well. So I think that they're going to continue to need, you know, with a guy like Ventrell Miller out that linebacker position, you know, sure. There are some linebackers that are going to flash, but I think they're going to really need to count on that defensive line, which has played really well. I think they're going to continue to need those guys to continue to make pressure, you know, create a lot of havoc in the backfield to continue to keep the defense. I think the defense has played much better than last season. 
I don't think it's a perfect product, but I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, those grad transfers on the defensive line, having guys like Zach Carter playing in a position, Jeremiah Moon, who's, you know, playing that linebacker position, but can also show a little versatility there. Brenton Cox, I think, is playing really well as well. So I think that that front, that front part of the defensive line, I think that that's the biggest storyline for me. Um, just continuing them to have that high level of play because I think that's what's going to kind of be that glue to keep the defense playing what they are. Yeah, I'm with you. We talked about that going into the season. You know, I thought it was going to take an adjustment period for Florida secondary, like you talked about, a lot of youth there. And I think we're starting to see that. Like, you know, I really thought the Alabama and the Tennessee games were a big step forward. And I know that it's not been perfect. I mean, Mordecai McDaniel has the busted coverage against Tennessee, 75-yard touchdown pass. But by and large, I think they're getting better in the secondary. But to your point, it was really on the defensive line, especially early this season, to kind of set the tone, establish the line of scrimmage, and make things happen. I guess one one area, and maybe this is kind of where you're going with that, that I, that I want to see going forward for Florida, is that D-line has to start to get it to translate more. And I don't know if it's every opponent that Florida has faced so far has really tried to get the ball out quickly. And that's certainly been going on. But for me, you look at this Florida defense right now, while I think the play has gotten better overall from a year ago and the unit is playing a lot better, my problem is they're still not coming away with enough takeaways. And that was something that really Florida struggled with last year. It's supposed to be kind of this hallmark of a Todd Grantham defense. And yet here we are four games into the season. I think Florida has recovered two fumbles, both Jervon Dexter, ironically. And I believe it's just the one interception for Kyrie Elam. So really Florida's defense is as good as that defensive line is. It hasn't translated to takeaways yet. And if you want to be a really, really good team, you want to win games against elite teams. Usually it's that turnover battle that matters. That's kind of a big difference maker. So I want to see that group kind of assert its will a little bit more in terms of dictating the game and, and going out and getting those turnovers. And like I said, I know teams have been throwing the ball very quickly on Florida, Tennessee, obviously the latest example of that. But for me, to your point, that D line has got to continue to be a factor. I guess for me, Blake, the biggest storyline has to be quarterback. You know, we came into the year thinking, I mean, I was pretty much on record. I think several times saying I didn't see any kind of scenario where Anthony Richardson would end up starting like, until at least after the Alabama game. Now, having said that, I had obviously some doubts, and we, we talked on this show about my, my reservations with Emory Jones. I think they're still there, but he's developed a lot more than maybe I thought he would after those first two games. I don't necessarily know that Emory Jones is kind of a long-term answer, you know, to where once you're into the playoffs, is he a guy that you feel super confident with just based on, you know, some of the hesitancy making decisions, um, some of the accuracy here and there. But I think what has made it almost more of a storyline is Anthony Richardson has been so, so explosive that to me, he's got to be involved the rest of the way going forward. And I think got to be more involved even more than he was in those first two games when he was healthy. The hamstring obviously is going to be part of that. You know, he's got to be fully healthy. Florida expects him back this week, fully, fully ready in practice, going to go all week. Uh, as far as I know, they weren't going to do an MRI. I don't know if that's going to remain the case. I would think you would want to, you know, have an abundance of caution. But Blake, he's a guy that is a difference maker. And we talked about this this preseason. Where are the difference makers on Florida's offense? We thought maybe Jacob Copeland, outside of the one game against USF, where coincidentally most of his big plays came when Anthony Richardson was in. He hasn't really shown up to be that difference maker yet. 
you know, credit Justin Shorter as a blocker on the outside, but I don't think he's been quite as effective as a pass catcher as maybe he could be. Running backs, you've got a bunch of them. But Anthony Richardson is that kind of game changer that if you're going to be a true playoff team and kind of have those X factors that can help you, you know, get over the top against the Alabamas, those kind of teams, he's your guy. So however that plays out going forward, Blake, to me, that's going to be really, really interesting. I don't know if you have any updated thoughts on where things stand after the last two weeks, because I know that we haven't we haven't talked to you a ton about that. Um, I'd love to get your thoughts just on how you kind of, you know, evolve with Anthony Richardson continuing to get reps at quarterback. You know, I, I think I agree with you. The fact that I think Emory Jones has continued to develop these couple of weeks, but I still think that they're going to, the plan was always to rely on two quarterbacks. And I think that still will be the plan, you know, Anthony Richardson, you know, I, I really agree with a lot of what you said. Anthony Richardson is just too explosive to keep off the field. All right, Blake, let's take a quick break. I know we've been, we've been talking for a little bit here. We'll take a quick commercial break and we'll come right back on the other side. I want to hand out our, one third of the season. See, that doesn't really flow off the tongue, like quarter of the season, mid season. That sounds a lot better. Anyway, four games in, we're going to hand out offensive MVP, defensive MVP. And then we're going to talk about kind of the expectations going forward. Now that we've seen these first four games, we'll be right back after this commercial break. Introducing the two way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two way for yourself at newbalance.com. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with my co-host, Blake Alderman. Blake, we've seen four games from Florida now, again, against a pretty different sample of opponents. You've had really, really good opponents. You've had cupcakes. You've had somewhere in between. And then you've had Tennessee, which I'm not even sure where you classify them at this point. But let's talk about what we've seen on both sides of the ball. I want to talk about offensive and defensive MVPs through the first four games. And if you want to talk about whether or not you think that could change the rest of the season, by all means, go for it. But first off, I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll surprise you. I'll give you my offensive MVP, and this might surprise some people. I'm going to go with Kingsley Equicon up front at center on the offensive line. When we were talking about Florida's O-line and kind of the shifts that we thought we needed to see, you know, from last year's unit, I really thought that the only way they were going to be able to kind of upgrade and replace that right side of the line was by getting Kingsley in there at center. And we weren't fully sure that was going to happen. You know, coming out of spring ball, Florida worked a lot of guys there. 
They even had Stuart Reese trying there at one point. They had Ethan White obviously working there some, along with Kingsley and Richie Leonard. But coming out of spring, it looked like maybe the plan was not going to be for Kingsley. And it wasn't really until probably about the first week, into the first week of fall camp, then it looked like Florida was honing in on him. But even knowing that, that he was going to be the starting center, I thought he's been much, much better than anybody expected. And I really think that's allowed you not only to have um, a guy in there who is really kind of controlling things from the center position, getting to the second level, hitting linebackers, but it's also allowed you to get your best guys elsewhere. You know, to have Ethan White on the field along with a slim down Stuart Reese at the same time. You've got Josh Braun now as a swing guy that can go guard to tackle either guard spot if you want. And I think it's really helped the play of the offensive line. I know that there's been some other guys that have been really good. I don't think you can go wrong with any of the running backs in the group. I mean, honestly, after the last two weeks, you could probably name Emery the MVP, and I'd be okay with it because I think, you know, I mean, the, the, the Alabama performance alone, was he, you know, phenomenal? Probably not, but, you know, a guy that can get you through and manage against Alabama is no small feat. So there's a lot of options for offensive MVP, Blake. I'm curious to know who you picked. I'm going to go with Malik Davis. You know, I think that the running back room in general has been really good. I think Malik Davis heading into the season, it was kind of unknown who was going to be the guy for running back. And I don't know that we really still know who's been that alpha guy. I think I would lean towards Malik Davis because he's been able to, you know, make impacts in the running game. He's been able to catch balls out of the backfield. Um, I think you could go a lot of different ways with the offensive MVP, but I think that Malik Davis to me, I think he's the one for me because you've just seen him do so many different things. You've seen him move the chains. You've seen him, you know, be able to do versatile in different ways. Florida's running back room in general is really good, but I think Malik Davis has been the one who surprised me so far the most. You know, I, we were, I saw somebody on Twitter asking, you know, who would be your, your one, a running back. You know what I mean? If you had to put them sort of in that order and I'm, I'm with you on Malik Davis. I think he's the guy. I think the way that Florida's getting a hat on the hat at the first level, it has kind of, spotlighted Malik Davis's skill set, maybe more so than some of these other guys. And, and Damian Pierce, don't get me wrong, has been terrific so far this year. Some of the tackles he's broken, the balance he's shown, being able to stay on his feet has been absolutely tremendous. But I think when you talk about the improved execution on the O-line and the amount of times that Florida is getting a perfect double team at the first level, slipping a guy to the linebacker and, and kind of walling him off, Malik Davis, to me, as the perfect blend of vision, patience, and then he's got that kind of stride run where he's able to kind of shift directions without really losing a whole lot of speed. And it's not a huge shift. It's not like a Kadarius Tony, you know, foot in the dirt and you're going, you know, 180 degrees the opposite direction. But Malik Davis has that kind of gear where he can sort of, once he's getting to that, you know, between the first level, second level, his eyes are always on the safeties, and I think he's done such a good job of, of re-angling himself to, to work behind this O-line that I, I agree with you. I think, to me, he's you know a great, great problem to have when you're trying to decide which of your backs is your number one back, and you legitimately can make an argument for three guys. Uh, I'll let you go first on defensive MVP. Who you got? I'm going Zach Carter. You know, I think that just the, the pressure he's made out of the back, you know, coming through the backfield, um, I think him playing that true position and not having to play that interior spot. Granted, he has played that and he's able to move around, but I think that versatility he brings, just the stats he's put up, I think he's just been a problem. And I think teams are having a game plan around him. Yeah, I don't think anybody's been able to block him really this year. I mean, the only guy I can think of that even 
did a decent job on him was Evan Neal in Alabama, and he's probably a first rounder at left tackle. So yeah, I, I had him as well as my defensive MVP. So I guess I'll, I'll mention another guy that I think could end up being the MVP going forward. Talked about him a little bit in the first half of the show, Jeremiah Moon, man. Uh, I don't know where this came from. Obviously, he's got to stay healthy the whole way. But when you talk about losing Ventrell Miller and a guy who a very sound tackler in the box, a guy that knew all the calls and checks, knew how to line the defense up, was a leader for the unit. Jeremiah Moon somehow really checks all those boxes too. Now, we didn't know if he could play inside linebacker. We really didn't even know. I'll be honest with you. I didn't even know that they were really working him there as much as they were in fall camp. You know, I knew he was kind of playing a hybrid role, but I didn't know that there was the possibility that he could be kind of a linebacker. He's been great, man. And I think if you're talking about MVP going forward, Zach Carter's been great. Yes, I think he's an individual game wrecker up front on the D-line, and he's going to have to continue to be. But Jeremiah Moon may be more important, and maybe not MVP. I think Zach Carter's the best player on the defense. I think Kyer Elam, you know, 1A, 1B with those guys. But Jeremiah Moon, as far as importance to the defense at this point in time, you know, we, we talked about Amari Bernie's struggles playing physical. I have not seen that at all with Jeremiah Moon. I mean, he has been very, very assertive coming downhill in the run game, taking on blocks. To me, that's, that's maybe the underrated story on Florida's defense so far this season. Maybe not quite the MVP through the first four games. I think he nailed it with Zach Carter. But he's a guy that's going to have to continue to be really good for Florida going forward. Blake, let's wrap it up here in the final few minutes by kind of looking forward. Right? We've, we've, we've talked about what's gone well the first four weeks, what hasn't gone well, what needs to be fixed, some storylines to watch. At this point, and I'm going to start with the negative so we can, we can kind of shift towards maybe the more optimistic, more positive as we close the show. If there's something that's going to derail Florida's season at this point, what's it going to be? I think it's going to be injuries. You know, I think when you look at the defense, um, you know, I think Florida's on the mend. You know, obviously Anthony Richardson, you know, Kingsley was, you know, off and on out of the game for Tennessee. Um, you know, Kyer Elam was banged up, but he should, you know, be fine. Um, I think injuries for me is what's what it's going to look like going forward because, you know, you already lost Ventrell Miller. Um, I, I just think that Florida can't afford to have any more injuries because I don't think the depth is quite there for them. Yeah, and we've talked about that. That's a recruiting thing. You know, I think the depth is obviously a lot better than it was under right. Jim McElwain. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's what we talked about. That's why we were concerned about the O-line going into camp because we weren't sure that depth was emerging. I think after last week, you know, I, I, I agree with your answer, by the way. I think, I think injuries and, and injuries at certain spots, right? And O-line, right. prior to last week, O-line would have been one of them for me. You know, when you're looking at last week's game and all of a sudden Kingsley's down, you're already down Stuart Reese, John, Gene DeLance is out. Like, that's three guys. Like, and, and to me, the biggest one is Kingsley, right? Like, there's been a significant drop-off from Kingsley to Richie Leonard. And that's not really a knock on Richie Leonard, man. Like, he's not as far along in his development, right? Just from a physical standpoint. But that was a huge concern for me. I think it's less concerning now in the sense that after the Tennessee game and seeing Josh Brown play basically a full game, I feel a lot more comfortable that he can step in there as a starter if need be. And so between him and Michael Tarquin, I feel okay that Florida has enough there where if Kingsley's down, I don't feel terrible about sliding Ethan White into center and, and shifting the guards around. Before, that was a real concern. And you, you can't be down a starting center in this offense. It's going to throw everything down. Ethan White can make that transition happen if it needs to happen. So right now, my injury concern is much more on the defensive side of the ball. Kyrie Elam is expected to be back this week after, you know, suffering a knee sprain against Alabama. 
but I'm not sure the defense is fully sorted out yet. You know, I, I, the second halves of games have been extremely impressive. Bama goes up 21-3. Florida basically shuts them down after that. Tennessee goes up 14-10. Florida shuts them down after that. A lot of encouraging pieces and parts on the defense, but I still think you see the youth in the secondary. And if you lose one or two key guys, you know, Kyrie Elam misses more than a game or two. Tradine misses a couple games. I think you're looking at having guys like Mordecai McDaniel, who's been exposed a little bit, have to start. You know, guys like Trevez Johnson, to me, still hasn't quite solidified his starting spot. I thought last week was a, a real step back for him in terms of tackling and just kind of, you know, that all-around performance to where if you're getting further down on the depth chart, I have major concerns. And I think, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to pin too much of it on any one thing because, you know, Florida's offense still has some question marks too. Uh, and I question the, the upside of the ceiling with Emory. Well, if you're going to be that kind of team this year, you can't afford to have something that becomes a liability. Like last year, Florida almost, almost got by. They didn't, but they almost got by having such a huge defensive liability just because Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts, Darius Tony were all so good. I don't think the offense has quite that potential this year. So any injuries defensively, I think, in that secondary are going to be really problematic. But having said that, Blake, I don't know that my preseason expectations have changed a whole lot. I think Florida's kind of right on schedule with where I thought they'd be in some ways. Obviously, I think the run game's a lot better. I think I didn't really see Florida playing Bama to within two points. But to me, I don't know that coming out of the first four games, my expectations have shifted a whole lot. How about you? Mine haven't really either. Again, I'm, I'm with you on – I didn't think Florida would play Alabama as close as they did. I think that's encouraging because Florida showed the ability to dictate the game. And I think that they were the more physical team as the game went on there. So I think that that is kind of ties into, you know, the running game exceeding expectations. And I think a lot of that has to do with the offensive line exceeding expectations. So there are certain areas for me, like the offensive line, the run game, um, Emory Jones, these last couple of games, there are certain spots that have exceeded my expectations. But I think overall, Florida is exactly where I thought they'd be at this point in the season. Okay, so what was your preseason expectation for record, like most likely scenario, and where do you have them now? I think it was eight or nine wins um, okay. heading into the season. Um, I think I'm probably maybe a little bit more there now. I think I'm a little bit higher there now. So I guess they have exceeded my expectations there. You think 10 more likely than eight at this point? I do. That's kind of where I was almost going into the season, but I was you know, more nine and then let's see. And I, I'm with you now. I think, I think at this point – We'll see how, you know, we'll see how things go leading up to Jacksonville. But really, I've got, you know, that Georgia game circled as the only one that really Florida maybe could lose. And things can get hairy at LSU. Don't get me wrong. You know, LSU, after that loss to UCLA, they've, they've bounced back pretty well. I mean, still a little bit hard to make of what, you know, kind of they are as a team right now. But that'll be a tough trip. And then, again, you, you got to avoid the pitfalls and, you know, Key injury in a in a spot that you can't afford to lose a guy here or there could change that outlook considerably. But like I have to say, I think Dan Mullen has done a really, really good job. You know, I we he was never gonna be, I don't think, on the hot seat this season unless the wheels totally fell off. But there was probably a little bit of frustration setting in for a lot of fans with the way recruiting was going prior to the season. Um, question marks about quarterback, especially after those first two weeks. It kind of looked like, oh God, what are we doing here? And I think now four games in, I think. In my opinion, it's, it's kind of brought you back around to that baseline of like Dan Mullen is, has a really high floor. You know, I mean, Florida is not going to really be that program that is 
going to surprise you with a four win season under Dan Mullen. Like, I don't, I just don't think that's going to happen. I think the the floor has been raised considerably. And now the question mark is, can Florida get past and, and kind of push that ceiling a little higher? I think that all comes down to the Georgia game. But, you know, if you're asking me four games in, if that's where you want to be, if you're Florida, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, you know, you got that Georgia game circled. You know, if you had managed to beat Alabama, great. But I don't think anybody was expecting that. So I think the Gators are right where they want to be. I think we'll see what happens as Anthony Richardson gets back in the mix. I think that could potentially really bring the offense to another level. I, I still have a lot of question marks about the defense. I, I do have question marks about the ceiling with Emory Jones. But I think it's it's very clear that Dan Mullen has established a pretty strong culture some of the, you know, the biggest groups that we had question marks about, some of the assistant coaches that we had the biggest question marks about, O-line, running back, you know, John Hevesy, Greg Knox, how they've recruited. It's really hard to, to argue with their recruiting when they're putting results on the field, right? And we can talk all day about what those results may look like if they had one more four-star, one more five-star. But the bottom line, Blake, is Florida has gotten it done in these first four weeks, and I think Dan Wallen deserves a lot of credit for that. I agree completely. All right, Blake, well, let's wrap it up there for today. We'll be back on Thursday. We'll have a a chance to kind of preview the Kentucky game. That could be a tricky one up in Lexington. Wildcats are undefeated. I don't think they've looked quite as good necessarily these last couple weeks as they did maybe in the first week or two of the season when they were breaking in that new offensive coordinator, kind of surprising everyone with how how similar to the, the Rams they look like, you know, with that play action passing, the ability to get downfield. We'll have a big preview of those guys on Thursday mid-morning with the podcast. I'm going to be going through some Kentucky games uh, from early in the season over the next two days, or yeah, the next two days. Sorry, I keep my days in track here, but, and then we'll go over that on Thursday on the podcast. So guys, please stick around. Hit swamp247.com for more stories on the Florida Gators. We've got a lot breaking down this Kentucky game, and we will be back on Thursday with the next edition of the Swamp 24-7 podcast. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We appreciate it. moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.